Hello there, pinheads. This is Triumph the Insult Dog, and you're listening to Norman Shaggy on the Topcast, a popular program among fat 40-year-old men with no sex lives. Kind of like Norman Shaggy. Oh, and don't forget to download episode 42, featuring my cousin, Python Angelou. Until next time, see you later, pin losers. You're listening to Topcast, this old pinball's online radio. For more information, visit them anytime. www.marvin3m.com slash topcast. All right, well, welcome to another episode, brand new episode for the brand new season, 2008 season of Topcast, and uh, I'm your host, I'm, I'm, I'm Norm, along with... I think you're Shaggy. Oh, along with... Norm. So, we have a special guest today. Special guests. Special guests. Special guests. Special guests. Here on Topcast tonight, we've got uh, we've got Tim Arnold from the Pinball Museum in Las Vegas, the Pinball Hall of Fame, as it's as it's well known. Tim, can you say hi to us? Yo ho. Okay, Tim. Oh, the pirate. Pirate. Yes. All right. How, how come it has taken so many uh, months for another show? What was? Why were we on here? Hiatus. Is it the writer's strike? The writer's strike definitely put us on. Did the writer's strike affect you in Las Vegas, Tim? No, no. We're all the way live out here. So I just said, screw it, finally. We're not going to use the writers. Cause, yeah. And, and we'll just do our own thing. Yeah, we, we were going to sign with them, and, uh, you know, like Letterman did, but um, we decided not to. We they, probably, want, they want royalties. Yeah, they want, they want money. And, and we don't even get money. Yeah, we're kind of anti-money. So, yeah, look for the union label. Yes. Well, anyway, so Tim, you know, we talked to you almost a year ago, um, and it was—I think your show was the most downloaded Topcast show ever. Um, it was very popular. You told a lot of good, good operator stories, and we kind of want to continue that. We also want to get an update on the Pinball Hall of Fame and 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 how that whole project is going, and working towards the building. And then, um, you know, we've got to address some uh, comments that we've heard from some other people, and we're going to take uh, take some callers too on the second half of the show. We're going to we're going to have people call in. All right. So, Tim, looking at the website, you've been getting a lot of uh, you've been hey. getting a lot of good press. Yes, that's yeah. true. Yeah. So, we, tell me about the press and these these people that wander in. What um, you know you know how do they approach you on this? Well, usually because one or the other of us. Me, myself or the one we call the hippie uh, is there just about all the time there's no real layers of bureaucracy between us and somebody who wants to do a story about us you just kind of wander in and they say boy this place is really neat I want to do a, a story about it for cranky geeks which was the last thing that just happened which What's is some I don't know internet TV show you know, well it's uh, what divorce um yeah, I think that's Dvork's show, is is the Cranky Geeks. Yeah, so they came in, they were in town for the CES show, Consumer Electronics Show. So they came over with um, a camera and interviewed me and wandered around, you know, getting pictures of pinball machines, and then they just scooted. That's usually the way it happens. And we just got in uh, Southwest Airlines magazine, their in-flight magazine, for the month of January, every seat back on every southwest plane has a copy of this magazine 
since you're just sitting there and you're bored anyways, you pull out the uh, magazine, you read it, and you find out about this uh, pinball museum. And it was eight pages with color pictures. Yes, I saw that. Graph of the thing. The guy is going, this is the greatest museum ever. It's better than, you know, like the Louvre and, and all those fancy-ass museums. And he said, you gotta, when you're in Vegas, you've got to come out and see it. So have you, have you noticed an increase in traffic since this whole thing happened? Yeah, we've, we've had a boost of about a third. It's quite a bit. The month of January. Hmm. So we just had our, our second best week ever last week, and usually January is the pits. What do you think that's from the electronics show, or do you uh, think it's from that article? The CBS show was over at that point. Hmm. So it was just people that were coming to Vegas anyways and saw this article about this pinball museum and came out. But now, if you move the facility, isn't the, aren't you going to lose some mileage on all this press that you've gotten? No, because they usually go to the website anyways to find out where it is, and the website will just send them somewhere else. In the websites, uh, what is the URL? Uh, oh, the website, yeah. It's, I don't know what URL was. Uh, it's, it's pinballmuseum.org. Yes, pinballmuseum.org. So, Tim, what other, what other press has been good for you? Uh, we get local, any story in the local paper is good for 10, 15, 20% boost for uh, three or four weeks. What about the local um, hookers? If there's pictures, that's even better. We've had some radio stuff, but I haven't detected anybody that came in because they did a story on the radio. What about, t have you had any TV coverage? Yeah, the local uh, news shows, uh, the evening news on all three channels has covered us. Um, but that only happens once in a while. You know, they can't, they can't give you a plug every week. So how do you so, get a third? Publicity has been uh, very good for us lately, and... Mainly what it is is people hear that there's this place that's unique. It's not like, you know, every casino is like every other casino. you got the same, basically they're just barns full of slot machines. And, you know, you play the same slot machines and you lose the same money. And then here's this place that's kind of like off the strip. It's a couple miles away, but it has really unique stuff in it that you can't see anywhere else. And tourists get kind of bored just doing, you know, the same buffets and the same uh, nightclubs and the same slot machines, and they want something different to do. So they uh, they come out and play pinball. Excellent! Well, okay, so when these guys come, how elaborate, like, well, let's take this last one, the crankygeeks.com, which is the Dvork column. That guy's been writing forever. Um, he's actually a kind of old-school computer. When he came in, how elaborate was his his crew? Was it just him? Just him and another guy with a camera. So the other guy was just, was it a handheld or nice camera? A little handheld guy. Hmm. Yeah, because, you know, that was a web, um, uh, what, a video podcast, as it may be, on his website. And, you know, two minutes into the thing, uh, you know, he uh, you know he started showing off uh, the museum and him playing. And, and, and there's footage of you. I assume you've not seen it, right? No, because I don't have TiVo. He said it was on TiVo. He said it's on TiVo. That's what I like about you, Tim. You're totally new school up on all the gadgets. No, no. He said it was on TiVo. He said if you had TiVo, you could get it. Party on, brother. Okay, so now, now let's, Tim, let's, let's go back to your interview that we had with you a year ago. The one thing that I get just a, a crap load of comments about is the uh, naked shoe, 
naked shoe shine place with the pinball machines that you worked at. Shoe shine. Yeah, shoe. Oh. Yeah. Uh, yeah, modern bookkeeping. It, it, why was it called modern bookkeeping? Because I worked it's... for uh, Harry Mahoney, the guy that did the. Uh, started out with uh, a drive-in movie theater in Durand, Michigan, just the other side of Flint, and he then he started uh, uh, Cinema X, and then that turned into Deja Vu and Showgirls and um, Little Darlings and all those titty bars that are now literally all over the country. But the whole thing was run out of a cinder block building next to the scene drive-in in Durand, Michigan, and you couldn't tell anyone you worked for them, and your check came from Modern Bookkeeping, which is what they told you. If anybody asks, you work for Modern Bookkeeping. Well, what was the thinking behind this? It's an illegitimate business. Uh, because it was pretty much, yeah, a banded industry. It was... Uh, it was uh, dirty movie theaters, uh, peep shows. They were bringing the peep show business. Yes, um, yes money. And they had topless shoe shines and game rooms in all their cinema X's. The one in Flint, the one in Lansing, and the one in Bay City were the three that I did service for. And were they all shoe all topless shoe signs or different motifs? No, it was just a big uh, cinder block building used to be a supermarket that they had um, peep booths, which back then were 8-millimeter film loops, and they had uh, buckets and uh, toilet lots paper. of porno magazines, and then they had this really lame-ass game room where they had five or six pinballs and a jukebox and a bunch of pool tables. Did they own the equipment, or was it your equipment? No, no, they owned the equipment. And did it make any money? Yeah, it must have made them money because they kept doing it. So the game's no. still there? Yeah, now when when did that place close or, or change? Well, I I eventually ended up getting so busy running the arcades, I told them I couldn't do service for them anymore. Hmm. So basically, it, you know, they found somebody else. And since I don't spend a lot of time hanging out in titty bars or adult bookstores, I heard from somebody that eventually they stopped doing it. So it was, you know, probably late 70s that it, the whole thing petered out. Now, what other risque... Nice choice of words. Yeah, yeah, nice choice of words. What other risque locations did you either provide machines to or do service at? Uh, it was actually pretty boring stuff. You know, the usual roller rinks, uh, uh, bars. The shit kicker bars were the worst, though. What, what do you mean? The country western bars are the worst. Hillbilly because bars. Because the hats and belts love to fight. And they love to throw things. And they love to spill beer all over everything. So, you know, if you had games in a shit-kicker bar, you could count on having a lot more broken things and a lot more gooey coin doors because of the beer. What was the worst broken thing that you ever came across, or the worst episode of crime or vandalism or whatever that you encountered? Uh, well, they tip them over from time to time, and that always messed them up. Especially the EMs, man. The, the insides get just scrambled when you tip them over. But probably the weirdest thing was the uh, the dead cat head. What? I was I was working in the arcade in the basement one night, and this guy, who didn't look like you know a troublemaker, he looked like a normal guy, uh, comes up to me. and He looks just like all white, and he says, "Like I don't think I'm seeing things, but I think there's a dead cat head on your game." So you know. I didn't think he was faking. So I jumped right up, 
and went over, and there was a Defender game. No, it was Robotron. Robotron. And the, somebody had taken and cut the head off a cat and put, put it on the control handle of the game. So, you know, I told the guy, you know, thanks a lot. That's good you told me this. Uh, and he left, and then the police came in, and they took pictures of it and put it in a bag and for evidence and <laughs> took it away. So that was that was pretty damn freaky. So was that like a fresh cat head, or was it like something taken out of one of the anatomy labs down at the oh, school? It was, like, it was like still bloody and oh. stuff. It was really weird. Freaked me out. Huh, and what was the what was the reasoning for this? I don't know. You know Screwing with his mind. Figured out. You know, maybe it was. Uh, we had a lot of trouble with with frat boys who did you know grotesque pranks. Well, like what? what you, now this happened at your arcade. Is that what it, Pinball Pete's? Yeah. Okay. Now what? Now the frat boys. What did they do? What? How did they cause trouble? Um, they were constantly getting way too drunk, and there's a difference between getting drunk and getting way too drunk. And they were always, you know, filled with testosterone and and yelling and slamming pool cues around, and they were just, they were bad rowdy. Wanted to fight, And then early on when we were putting games in the frat houses, they, one time they dumped a bucket of piss on me as I was going out the door, Um, Mm. and another time they stole the wheels off my truck. (laughs) Wait, 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 they stole all four wheels off your truck? No, the the two on the street side. Oh, so I came out to get into my truck, and the wheels off. are gone. Oh. And did you immediately notice this? Uh, yeah, yeah, because I went around to put my tools in the truck, and the two wheels are gone. Oh, so if you, they were on blocks, so if you had driven off, yeah. you would have ruined your truck. Yeah, it up, put on blocks, yeah. pulled, took my wheels just for a joke. And if you had driven off, you would have ruined your truck. So, yeah, it was, you know... Did, was, you, did you get your wheels back? Oh, yeah, yeah, they thought it was a big joke, it was hilarious, and then they came out and put my wheels back on. So when the guy dumped a bucket of urine on you, what did you do? Uh, I went home and took a shower. I, you know, I hear different stories about you. That Number one, there was a guy I met I sold a pinball to, and he said that you were quite, you could really handle yourself in a fight, that these guys would come in and you'd be able to do all kind of, you know, you think they could handle you, take you, but you, you were known to take out people with one punch. Yeah, I'm I'm a big strapping buck, and I think I was like 5'6". Well, that's not what I hear. I hear that. You you just knew what to do and how to take care of business, and every time I ask you that, you deny that to this day. Well, yeah, I didn't get killed, so. So yeah, so there's some truth to the story that you can, uh, you take out some big football players from time to time with one punch. Uh, wait, wait, you 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 got held up once? Yeah, once. How did that go? Uh, a guy pulled a shotgun on me. Um, uh, demanded that I leave town. Uh, I said I would, and then he put the shotgun back in the case and walked out the front door. What do you mean, the case? He had a. Well, I'm sitting there watching TV on a Saturday night, and wait, wait, you're at the arcade? Yeah, yeah. This is an arcade in Mason, a little, a little town south of Lansing. And I look. I'm sitting there watching TV, and I look up, and there's a guy who's just come in and he puts a case looks like a pool cue case on the pool table nearest where i was and he's zipping and unzipping it like the zipper is stuck so i say hmm and i go back to looking at the tv and then i figure out hey i know this guy it's robert de niro I look up again 
and at this point he's got the thing open and he pulls out a shotgun and he points it right at me and says, I'm going to blow you away. And then I recognized him. He was the local drug dealer guy. So at this point I just pretty much just shit my pants. And he started going on about how this was his town and I was taking his business and that I was a narc and that I worked for the police and that he was going to have to kill me because I was narking him out. Which is all true. And I said, yeah, well, I'll, I'll stop doing that. And he says, well, are you going to leave town? And I go, yeah, yeah, I'll leave town. I'll leave town tomorrow, and I won't come back. So apparently that satisfied him. He put the, um, he put the shotgun back in the case and walked out. So immediately there was two guys like five feet away playing foosball who didn't even look up. They were so engrossed in playing foosball that they didn't see the whole thing. So I gave him 50 cents, kicked him out, and I was going down the street to use the payphone because we didn't have a phone at the time. Uh, and I was going to call the police and tell them that this guy, the local well-known drug dealer, had just pulled a shotgun on me. And all of a sudden I, say, I hear him say, hold it. So I stop right in the middle of the street, and he's over by the bank behind the teller machine pointing the shotgun at me. So I'm standing in the middle of the street. Uh, it's about 11.30 at night. And I'm, I got my hands up in the air, and all of a sudden I look down the block, and there's a car coming. And I'm standing literally right in the middle, right on the center line of the street. And I got my hands up. So I look over again, and it looks like he's got a ski rack on top of the car. So I look over again, and it's not a ski rack. It's a police light. So the one and only police officer in Mason, Michigan, happened to be driving down the street at the exact moment that I'm standing out in the middle of the street with my hands in the air. So he pulls up between me and the guy, and I kind of scrunch down and run along with the car, and I say, it's that guy, his name, and he's over there, and he's got a gun. So immediately, they go screaming off around the corner and I go down and hide under some boxes next to a garbage dumpster. So then about five minutes later, I hear sirens and stuff, and I figure, okay, they either caught the guy or killed him. So I go over to the next block, and they got him spread-eagled on the cop car, and they're handcuffing him. So, yeah, he got, uh, he got bailed out, and I saw him the next day. He drove down the street um, in front of the arcade and gave me the finger. So, apparently he didn't stay in jail very long. So they didn't cut off his head and put it on one of your games? Nah, nah, live and let live. And, and so did he ever approach you again? Because I assume you did not leave town. Well, no, actually, the, the, the arcade we had in Mason was doing spectacularly poorly. It was everything that could possibly have gone wrong did. So we decided to close it, and we actually sublet it to somebody who was going to put in an ice cream parlor. And that's how we got out of our lease. Who was subsequently and we just, murdered? Know, scrammed and got out of there, and never thought about it again. Hmm. So you you actually did four days in hell. So you actually did listen to the guy and leave town. Yeah, but not because it was him or I was a narc. It was simply the thing wasn't making any money. We were earning about a dollar an hour. Pussy. Uh, you know, being there, it just wasn't. There was no money. Stay <laughs> chalita. I also Oiga, heard. Señor, we are federales. You know, <laughs> the mountain police. 
<laughs> I also heard that you used to uh, super glue, uh, I don't know, somebody's eyelids shut or do weird things to frat boys when they were drunk in your place? Yeah, we used to, uh, one time, the, the uh, two frat boys were passed out in the, uh, I don't know if they were frat boys, but they were certainly um, very drunk and very passed out. There used to be this little narrow corridor that went to the bathroom. So they were passed out, so we super glued uh, one guy's hand to the other guy's hand. So that then they woke up, they were going to have their hands super glued together. So that was that was pretty funny. Now, what what was the what's the you know working in the arcade and that? What was the kinkiest sex thing that you ever saw there? Uh well, we caught people having sex on the back stairs uh, quite a few times, um, and I think that's about it. Because mainly, what we got were you know just adolescent boys who were too geeky to, to ever get laid anyway, so that's why they ended up at the arcade. You know, generally when you got old enough to hang out in a bar and get laid, you pretty much gave up on the arcade and, and went to a bar. So who was having sex? It was a man and a woman, right? Yeah, yeah. Okay, let's qualify yeah. that. Um, <laughs> let's qualify that right now. Yeah. There was none other stuff going on, was there? Uh, the same frat house where I got my wheels stolen and the piss oh, dumped no. on me. Yeah. Uh, I walked into the president's room to give him his half of the game money Yikes. because it was a commission split deal, you know, just like usual. Sure. And the first time I ever saw anal sex in progress was when I walked in and he was butt slamming some guy. <laughs> I said, uh, uh, here's your money. I'll talk to you the first, I think first, first time. First time. Yeah. It should have been the only time. How many times have you seen that? Oh, what the hell does this have to do with pinball? Oh, yeah, yeah, let's talk about pinball. So how many times have you seen that? Wait, ha, was this? Okay, there, you just got, like, all my juicy stories from, like, 30 years of being in in taverns and pinball. No, arcades. you haven't you told us about world. some of the fights you've been in, the guys you've taken out. Like, you got to hear yeah. one, one story. Tell us one. So, okay, there's only one thing you have to know about, about fights in an arcade. And you just got to remember, you're not as drunk as them. You can run faster. So what you do is, when trouble like that happens, you just go the other way really, really fast. I don't think you don't, so. You don't want to fight people that are drunk. Okay. Now, what about at the Pinball Hall of Fame? What is the worst thing? You know, you've only been open a couple of years, but what's the worst, you know, the worst uh, altercation or drunk or druggy guy? Nothing. It's been, you've got to remember that the nostalgia crowd is completely different than the crowd we used to get back in the day. Uh, what we get is, you know, 45, 50, 55-year-old dudes who are wandering around, you know, reliving their youth, you know, they're almost tearful because, you know, they've seen something that they haven't seen in 30 years. And the place is pretty much, you know, on autopilot. We never get break-ins. We never get gang graffiti. Uh, we never get fights. We never get drunks. Um, occasionally we get somebody panhandling. You know, one of the local bums will be panhandling in the parking lot. We just tell them, you know, just leave. You can't panhandle here, but that's about it. Yeah, nothing well, like senior citizen pinball, eh? Yeah. What is the, what game makes the most money at the uh, at the Pinball Hall of Fame? Um, it's probably a three-way, usually it's a three-way tie between the Pinball Circus, which is a dollar a play, 
the air hockey, which is 75 cents a play, and whatever pinball is newest, which right now is Wheel of Fortune. So that game's doing pretty well? Yeah, any new game right out of the box does great. I thought your Pirates was doing really well. Pirates is doing real well considering its age. It's, it's held up real well. Mm-hmm. Spider-Man has dropped off. Spider-Man dropped like a stone. Right, right, right. Why do you think that was? Because um, the kids don't like it. Well, what do you If I could tell what made a hit game and what didn't make a hit game, I'd move to Chicago and work for Gary Stern and make a million bucks. But, you know, why, why is Theater of Magic and Medieval Madness and Twilight Zone, what, what makes those games continue to be hits when other games from the same era aren't? If you figure out that, you just make hit games every time. All right, all right, Tim, we're going to take a little break. We're going to run an ad, but I want to put out throughout the phone number, if anybody wants to call in and ask Tim Arnold of the Pinball Hall of Fame any sort of question relating to pinball, uh, our phone number is, and we'll be back right after this message. Deep in the forests of eastern Canada, you will find something, well, groundbreaking, and something that's very, very pinball, but something that's really, really small. <laughs> Presenting classic playfield reproductions. Two guys in their basements. We've got the passion, we've got the gear, and we've got the quality. Doing our very best to remake classic and more modern pinball replacement parts. Classic playfield reproductions. Playfields. Back glasses. Plastic sets. On the web at classicplayfields.com. Okay, we're back with uh, Tim Arnold. Uh, Tim, can you hear us okay? Yeah, doing good. Okay. You we, got a call, we got a caller on the line uh, with a question. Caller, can you hear us okay? Uh-huh. Okay, why don't you go ahead and ask Tim a question. Well, hi, my name's Enrico Palazzo, also known as Air Gay. And I Air wanted Gay? to know the first time you guys ever met. Was it around a pinball gathering, or was it other social event? Wait, wait, what guy? Who met? Who um, who met who? You and Clay. Tim Arnold. Oh, oh, I think wasn't it at the Expo or something? Um, yeah, yes, it was. It was at Expo. Um, I, and I'll give you the... Eight years old, I think you had a lemonade stand out in the hall. No, that that's not how it went. What happened is... What, what happened is is that me and Norm had just done top number one, the first video, and we just did it as a joke. Uh, and we were only going to show it at Expo, in, in which we did. And then Tim came up to us and said, hey, you know, we've got this project where we make videotapes and, you know, we hold uh, parties for the Salvation Army. Would you be interested in donating the master? And uh, you know we'll give uh, we'll give the money to the Salvation Army, and that's that's how that's how I met Tim the first time. Yeah, if he didn't, if he wasn't going to do it, I was going to burn his house down. Wow! Yeah. Oh, he was going to take him to the fraternity boys. <laughs> he was going to cut my head off and put it on his on the joystick, the Defender. Robotron. You guys are a rough crowd. Yeah. Why don't you come on down? <laughs> yeah, I think I think it was at one of the early expos. Yeah. Yeah, that was year two thousand. Clay had just uh, shaved for the first time. He was like nine years old. Shaved what? <laughs> any other questions? En- Enrico, any other questions? Family now. What were you shaving? En- 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 Enrico, any other questions relating to pinball? That, that'll do. 
Okay. You guys have a wonderful evening. Thank you. Yeah, go on home. Your mother's calling. Thank you. She is. I know. Bye. Eric shaved when he was two. He's Armenian. They shave like okay, twelve the, times a day. Now, Tim, there's been some criticism at the at the Hall of Fame about um, what exactly you're doing with all the money. So why don't we talk about how much money you bring in every week or month, however you want to break it down? Uh, what percentage goes to where? What who gets paid? Who doesn't? Why don't you talk about that? Right, right. There's been uh, there's been some talk on the internet that what we're doing is somehow not good or not correct basically what's happening is we run the pinball hall of fame as a legal not-for-profit corporation we've got full clearance from the irs we file a tax return every year um and when we get money in the first thing we have to do is pay the rent and the electric bill at the museum all right hold on a second tim hi you're on the air with tim arnold uh yeah this is uh Bob from Bob Bob Inc. And I, I got a question for Tim. Fire away. And actually, two questions. One is, what kind of music does he play at his facility? Does he does he have both kinds of music there? No, we have country and western. No, actually, we don't have we don't have music at all. Because if we got music, it would interfere with your ability to play the games, and two, it would interfere with my ability to keep an eye on by myself a 4500 square foot facility I have to rely on hearing things in order to you know tell me that somebody's picking up the air hockey and dropping it uh, so we don't do music uh, and what we found is a lot of people just bring in their iPod they plug the iPod into their ears and they just play away and they get the music they want instead of the music that happens to be on the radio or the jukebox so yeah we don't do music plus I'm too cheap to buy a license so do you get any groupies down there, come in there, and want to see the great Tim Arnold? Uh, yeah, but they're all dudes, unfortunately. There are no chick pinball groupies. All right, let's get back to, uh, you were you were talking about, you know, the money that you take in and where it goes. Yeah, okay, so being a not-for-profit, we have to pay the bills first. The bills come to about $7,500 a month. That's $5,800 in rent, and the rest goes for insurance, utility bills, license fees. Electricity. Things that can't be avoided. Right. Um, after that, we have a considerable amount of money left over, mainly because nobody at the Pinball Hall of Fame gets paid anything. I work for free. I pay for the hippie out of my own pocket, and the other people that volunteer just give their time for free. And if you've ever run a business, you know that your largest single and only controllable expense is labor. So if you have uh, $7,500 is all it takes to open the place every month and we've averaged twenty two thousand dollars a month that we take to the bank that doesn't include uh... disk sales which are paypal or interest from the investments which is separate so if we're taken to the bank twenty two thousand a month it costs us seventy five hundred dollars a month to keep the thing open there's a big difference between those two now originally the plan was we were going to turn all that money over to local social service charities, Salvation Army, St. Jude's Ranch, things like that. But we have a problem coming up in the future. Our lease is up in November of 2009. Now, the guy that just bought the shopping center that we're in paid $6 million for the shopping center, which was about $3 million more than it was worth, and he's currently spending a whole bunch of money to renovate the place. 
and he's said to me that he wants to attract tenants like uh, Starbucks and Jamba Juice and a record store, and he wants to move the whole shopping center upscale. And he's already told me that he will not sign a lease again after our lease is up at the current rate, which right now is out the door for $1.29 a foot. Currently, other leases in the neighborhood are going for a buck and a half to two bucks. So what happens when our lease is up in November of 2009, we have to either move it or close it. Now, if we're going to move it, we're probably going to run into the same problem we have if we stayed where we're at. We don't have the cash flow to support a much higher rent. If our rent you know, went up from $1.29 to $2, that would almost double our $7,500 a month number. That would crimp us quite a bit. So what we're thinking is that we actually want to buy a building and the Las Vegas Pinball Collectors Club, the legal entity that we are, the tax-free not-for-profit corporation would own the building. Uh, there's several advantages to this. First of all, we don't have to put up with a landlord who refuses to fix the parking lot or change the light bulbs. If there's something wrong, we can just do it ourselves. And that's a very good thing, uh, not depending on other people. And second of all, as a not-for-profit, just like a church or a Lions Club or an Eagles Club, we don't pay property taxes if we own the building. Now, right now, our landlord pays about 30 to 40% of our rent to the county as taxes. So we're paying taxes indirectly as part of our rent. If we owned the building, we would pay no taxes, and we could either retire debt with the 30 or 40% savings, or we could give more money to charity. So the idea is we want to really try to buy a building. So now, this you've been wanting to buy a building for a long time, though. So, is the is the scheme different now than it was, you know, three years ago? No, we've been fanatically putting money in the bank, pretty much since the time I conned you into giving me the master for the first this old pinball. Yeah, but you were at that time. Actually, this was Norm's big criticism at the time when you originally contacted us for this, the money was going all to the Salvation Army. There was no there was no building fund. This was all just a pipe dream. Uh, and, and I don't even think you had the, the whole thing concocted at that point. And, and you've, you've kind of changed gears here on us midstream. Uh, that's true. That's true. And I have also been meticulously honest about it. I have not kidded anybody. I have not said 100% of your quarter goes to the Salvation Army, nowhere in the museum does it say that except for the candy machines, which do in fact 100% go to the Salvation Army. Uh, we don't trumpet it, we don't, you know, go out and say, hey, play here and help the homeless, because at this point, what you're doing is about 50 to 60 cents of every dollar you put in a machine at the Pinball Hall of Fame is put in the building fund as retained earnings. So, at some point, we hope to buy a building. Now, then comes the next question, well, what if you don't buy a building? What happens to all the money? Which is usually the next question that comes up. And I'm going to say it again to anybody that will listen at any time, is that the state of Nevada and the Internal Revenue Service 
are watching us very closely. And if we took that money, which right now is over half a million dollars that we have sitting in the bank, uh, if we took that money and gave it to ourselves, um, stole it, made it disappear, or gave it to Norm, gave it to us, somewhere else, gave it to us, we would be looking at major problems with the IRS and with the state of Nevada. No, so just put it in a paper bag and, I'll, we and have tell me where it's at. choices with what's going to happen to the money when the project ends, which at some point it may end. We can either give it to the IRS or we can give it to another charity. We can't keep it. We can't give it to ourselves. Uh, we can't buy a car with it. We can't pay it to ourselves as salary. Uh, so at this point, I look at the half a million dollars that sits in the bank as eventually being the property of the Salvation Army if we can't find a building. And yeah. what, what pers- you know, are you shopping for a building? Yeah, I've, I've gone to see four or five buildings in the last month. We're working with real estate people. I'm also on the Internet every night looking at uh, different buildings that are for sale in and around Las Vegas. We looked at one that was $8 million. We looked at one that was... Uh, million, and uh, these are the list prices. This is not the price that we would eventually negotiate it down to, but, you know, it's like an opening bid price. And we've looked at a couple $2 and $3 million buildings. Um, They're they're scary expensive. We looked at a roller rink that was out on Boulder Highway that they wanted $4 million for a building that was built in the early 70s, and it was basically just a big tin shed and the problem right now with commercial real estate is that the market is still kind of like it was with housing a year ago it's all frothy and people are speculating and the prices in no way reflect the underlying value of the real estate to produce rent income and what we're hoping is that in the next six months to a year that the prices of commercial real estate will realign themselves with their traditional levels. In other words, the prices will come down and we'll be able to buy something, we hope. Okay, now what What about, um, I mean, what? how much are you looking to spend on a building? I mean, I, if you've got a half million in the bank, you can't really go out and spend, you know, $5 million on something. No, and it's not, truthfully, it's not a $5 million idea. You know, if it was... If we were selling Maseratis and we were getting, you know, $100,000 every time we sold one, that would be different. But you got to remember, we're just like a laundromat or a car wash where we're dealing with quarters and we're not going to get the best corner in town. We need to have something. We'd like to get something between 2 and $3 million. You're going to buy a single-use? We could put $500,000 down on, and at that point we could afford the mortgage uh, that we would have to pay off the rest. Are you trying to tell me that it's that hard to find property for two to three million dollars in Las Vegas? That's well. See, the other criteria is that it has to be big enough. I mean, I could go right now and find a building. In fact, there's one on on the corner of Flamingo and Pecos that's listed at a million two. We could probably get it for nine hundred thousand. That's a slightly bigger than the space we're in right now. That we could get for. You know, we basically put 50% down. We'd only have to, you know, mortgage 400000 Uh But the problem is 
right now we can only display 200 games. The idea is that we want to get a space that's big enough that we can go four, six, eight hundred games. Yeah, but uh, you got the reality of it is you're having a hard time, you and the hippie, maintaining 200 games. Do you really want to pump it up higher than that? No, I disagree that we're having a hard time. What we're doing is we're spending about 50% of our day getting games ready for home sale. The other 50% is what we call tending to the flock, which is going around, you know, fixing flippers, replacing light bulbs, cleaning games. So right now, if we're running 200 games and spending 50% of our time building games for home sale, we could give up on building games for home sale, and we could devote 100% of our time and immediately go from 200 games to 400 games. And then there's also the fact that we could get other people to volunteer to help us do, you know, routine maintenance, game cleaning, um, and helping us out. Right now, we just do it, me and him, because that's just kind of handy, and the 200-game game room fits two people real well. Have you thought of building a building and getting a piece of property, or that's just crazy? Well, that was, that was the $8 million project. We were going to pay $2.5 million for two acres of land, and then we were going to build a two-story building on the land, and just the parking lot alone was $400,000 for the pavement on the parking lot. So, um, so there's no And we bid that with land. three different builders. Um, so, yeah, you know, we're exploring a bunch of things. We refer to it as kissing pigs. We're going to have to kiss 100 pigs before we find the one we like. But you only have a year and a half to really do this. I mean, you're, you're kind of running out of time. No, not, not necessarily. Because right now, time is working in our favor. Every day that we wait, our position gets a little stronger because we bank up a little more money. And the real estate market is heading for, if not a collapse, certainly a correction. And landlords are going to be more anxious a year from now to sell something than they are right now. Wow. We hope. Your crystal ball is working better than mine. Well, how good are things around Detroit? Yeah, store no, he's everywhere? right. Yeah. I mean, this is Detroit, though. It's a completely different environment. No, but I think there's there's such amount of overbuilding here that that prices. It's not a question of if prices will realign themselves with the underlying rents. It's only a question of when, because any speculative market eventually gets back to the fundamentals. This is what happened in housing, and it's going to happen next in commercial real estate. So you're looking at just a single-tenant building. No, You're not going to buy something, rent it, or do anything like that, extra space? We're, we're hoping to buy, you know, I'd like to find a supermarket-sized building, uh, four or five times as large as what we've got. Um, I'd also like to be a little closer to the Strip because what we found out is that tourists are a larger part of our audience than we originally anticipated. Yeah, you thought the locals were going to play into this heavily, and they just don't, right? Well, they show up, but they don't show up in the numbers I originally... Because, see, I was basing my numbers on Fun Night, where it was 90% locals, 10% tourists. And you also got to remember, when we signed the lease where we're at, we were next to a prosperous $2 movie theater that has since slid downhill and closed twice, and is even now, as we speak, just barely open. They're only running three of the six screens... And it's it's going to close again eventually. So the problem is, 
we don't want to be where we're at when the lease is up because, you know, why be there when there's no theater? Yeah, you're turning into the anchor of the of the plaza, aren't you? Yeah, I, I guess we've kind of turned into us and the bar next door are the only reason anybody comes to that shopping center. And originally it was about a third movie patrons, a third tourists, and a third locals. And since the movie theater has kind of crashed and burned, we've kind of switched to about 60% tourists and 40% locals. So I'd like to be closer to the Strip so we can get more tourists. Also, the tourists tend to play more of the novelty stuff, and they don't win as many free games, so they end up spending more money than the locals, most of which are diehard pinheads that just win huge quantities of free games, and they constantly demand a flow of new machines. You know, I have to keep rotating stuff in to keep my base of locals, but the tourists, to them, everything is new. So I always thought that the tourist business would do well with you if you played into it, especially if you came up with a tour of uh, anti-gambling. You know, you can come to Vegas and, yeah, gamble and do these things, but if you could string a load of businesses together, museums, things like what you're doing, and play into those that aren't really gamblers, I think you can even increase your not even higher. Oh, yeah, yeah. There's definitely, we've, we've gotten a lot of feedback from people that come in and say, you know, I spent $200 in 20 minutes at the casino, and then I came here and I've spent $8 in three hours. So, yeah, that's definitely part of it. Um, one of the things we were looking at was the Liberace Museum on Tropicana is in a shopping center that's currently about half empty. And we could get about twice the square footage we have right now. We'd go from 4,500 to about 10,000 square feet. And we could rent from them because they don't want to sell part of the shopping center. They want to, you know, continue to own it. But, you know, that way we could be next to the Liberace Museum, so then Mom could come out and do the, you know, the pianist that she used to watch in the 50s, and Dad, you know, he'd go, oh, I don't want to go to that, see that gay guy who played the piano. That's, oh, there's a pinball museum next door. Yeah, let's go to that. Liberace yeah. was gay? <laughs> not only, Not only that, not only that, but uh, that is a lot closer to the strip. Right. It's half again as close to the strip. And then you're getting free uh, advertising. They're taking all these idiots and touring them, and you're going to get the benefit of that. Yeah. Why don't you sign up for that now? Can't you sign up for that now? Well, no, we're not near the end of our lease. Yeah, but that guy would get you out of there, wouldn't he? Well, the lawyer said he can get us out of the lease, but at this point we're still hoping to find something we might be able to buy. What's the nut on that? that? Can, the Paying rent sucks because if you know if we had twice as many square feet at this Liberace Plaza that we have right now, we're going to be paying about twice the rent, and then we're going to see our seventy-five hundred dollars a month double to fifteen thousand. So let's say there's a little savings in there because you're getting you know less electric bill and less insurance. So let's say we could say it's thirteen thousand a month. Then we're looking at the fact that we're we're paying out thirteen thousand and taking in twenty two thousand. That's not as nice as paying out seventy five hundred and taking in twenty two thousand. Hmm. So what we're trying to do is, by owning the building, we would literally only have an electric bill to pay. Everything else could be used to retire debt. Hmm. Well, b- back to some of the other some of the other stuff. If if somebody wants to come down and view your books. 
or see any of your accounting or or understand any of this better? Are you available, or is, are these things available for viewing? We are, we're required by law to give anybody that asks for it a copy of our tax return. That's not just me. That's any charity in America. So anybody that wants it can request a copy of the tax return. If you're at the museum, we have a copy of it there you can inspect. If you want me to mail you one, I'll mail you one free of charge. Uh, on that tax return, it states exactly to the penny how much money we have, what we spent last year. Last year we gave away, even though we've been retaining capital like crazy, we still managed to give away $20,000 to local charities. And I prepare and sign that tax return myself under penalty of perjury. So believe me, I take it very seriously. Anybody that wants to physically inspect our books has to give me a couple days' notice, and I will bring whatever you want to see up to the museum, and you can go over the books with a fine-tooth comb. We have nothing to hide. Nobody gets paid. The only thing we do is we take in a dollar, we pay out 40 to 50 cents for rent and our electric bill, and the rest gets retained as earnings. Um, that's basically, in a nutshell, the whole thing. Yeah, and have you ever have you ever had any uh, runs in with the IRS before? No, but it's it was explained to me when I set up the not-for-profit corporation by several different people that it's not a question of when you'll get audited or if you'll get audited. It's only a question of when. And when you do get audited, the things that they look for that always trip you up, they're not you know interested in the fact that you paid. 329 for soda when you could have waited a week and got it for 299 they're more interested in do you have a company car do you go on trips or junkets or seminars do you have a home office that you take a deduction for do you take mileage you know the kind of things that that allow the president of the red cross to earn millions of dollars when he's the head of a charity. That's what they zero in on. And as long as you're not paying yourself anything, and as long as you don't have a company car that you drive, uh, as long as they're not paying for your health insurance or anything like that, they're pretty much going to look at your books and say, yeah, that's okay. You guys gave away $20,000 and retained uh, $150,000 for your building fund that's good. Don't spend any of the money on the building fund. We'll see you again in two years. Now, have you had any celebrities or high-profile people come into the museum and, and, and talk to you about, you know, or just come into the museum, much less talk to you about any of the, uh, any of the financial aspects? Mm, we had Leonard Malton come in two weeks ago. What was he there for? Uh, he was there for the CES show, the Consumer Electronics Show, and he saw the uh, article in the Southwest Airlines magazine so he got his limo to come over, and uh, he paid the limo $50 an hour so he could hang out inside for about 45 minutes and spend $5. But, uh, yeah, Oy. he really liked the place. <laughs> so he, that's, the, that's the best famous guy we got? Yeah, it's pretty low end. You know, we don't we don't get any of the famous rock stars or anything. How about Liberace? Uh, Has he been in there? There's been... John owes me money. Yeah, why? That prick. He came over... He took, back when I had all the games in the shed in the backyard, he's doing his big red piano show here in Las Vegas at, at Caesars Palace, and they had a jumbotron screen. You know, he sits there and he plays this red piano and sings his little songs or whatever the hell he does, and he's got this jumbotron screen where they show pictures of pinball machines when he's singing about the pinball wizard. Um, so he sent this film crew over here 
and they had a 35 millimeter film camera, and they had you know like six guys. One guy's job was to change the focus. That was his only job was to move this lever and keep the whole thing in focus. So they took this uh, 35 millimeter Panavision camera and took all these pictures of pinball machines. And he was supposed to make a donation to the building fund, and he was supposed to get us some Elton John tickets for the raffle at Fun Night, neither of which he did. So I kept calling up the guy who was in charge of the film crew saying, you know, look, uh, Rocket Man owes me some cheese here. I want to get paid. And he kept saying, well, you know, I've left the message three or four times, but nobody's gotten back to me. Uh, let, give me another week on this. So finally, you know, I just called the guys up, and I read the riot act, and I said, look, you know, this is not how rich celebrities are supposed to act. You know, they're supposed to be, like, better than that. And if somebody gives them a bill, they're supposed to pay it. So finally the guy that, that ran the camera crew, he made a $500 donation just to shut me up. But that doesn't <laughs> get him off the hook. Elton John owes me money. How much? How much does he owe you? Ask for me. How much? I don't know. I I would think that five hundred to a thousand dollars for you know two days worth of my time, and and he could get a couple tickets to his show that we could give away. You know that make a dandy raffle prize. Now are you you're obviously not doing fun nights anymore, right? No, no. Fun night got dangerous. We had to quit that. What do you mean it got dangerous? There was too many people back there. You've been back to the shed. Mm-hmm. It's the the aisleways are too narrow. Um, there's no ventilation. There's no proper fire doors. There's things stacked up thirty feet in the air, and if you know something bumped into something else, everything would fall down and crush people. And it was literally the last couple times we get did fun night when it was all over. All we could say is, "Wow, you know, we almost like just barely escaped with with nobody dying. Let's not do this again." Hmm. So. Uh, we decided instead to open the museum. But you still got your shed, right? One night. But you have your shed, and and how much has that been depleted? Uh, the shed's about half empty. Really? So is that a good thing or a bad thing? No, I'd like to get it all the way empty. I, you know, I've got 450 games ready to go tomorrow. you got still a lot so, of stuff you know, stacked, the 200 you? that are in the museum, and i got another 200 sitting back there ready to go. Now, if, if you did double the space on the museum... Um, what uh, the the uh, other two hundred machines that you'd bring in? What era of stuff would you bring in, or just more of the same? It would be all older stuff. Believe me, every new game that I've got that would earn well is already up there. You know, all my all my '90s Williams games are up there. All the new Stern games are up there. What I would be adding in would be the '50s, the '60s, and the '70s. Well, that's some of the criticism. Some of the criticism you've been getting. Is that you know that you're because you've got all this newer stuff there that you're really more of an arcade than you are a museum? How do you respond to that? Um, you know I've seen that criticism, but unfortunately, again, when you're staring down the barrel of seventy five hundred dollars a month, you tend to pay attention to the numbers. And new games do earn more money than old games. Uh, I would like to get it to the point where we could get the rent boogeyman off our back, and then we could run. I'd love to run games from the 50s. There's some great wood rail games that nobody's ever played. Um, you know, why is it that the only good game we have from the 60s is Kings and Queens? You know, why don't we have Buckaroo? Why don't we have Magic Clock? Why don't we have some of the other great 60s games? Because we don't have space. I would love to add in 
lots of the older stuff, but it's not going to happen with the current cost structure. Um, and I'd also like to say that there's a lot of people that have been saying that it's not a proper museum. All it is is a room full of games. I've had several, three or four people, <coughs> Jim Shelbert, <coughs> say that it's uh, just a, a room full of games. And to me, in my mind, what we're trying to do is recreate the arcade-going experience that most people had in their youth. And back in the day, there was never, you know, fancy exhibits. There was never interactive animatronic pinball displays. There was never, you know, a lot of history. It was just a room full of games. And... So, so wait, you're going to get some 15-year-old girls in halter tops with flower hot pants gum. on, chewing gum? You know, I'd like to, but the problem is, this is what we run into a lot, is that the experience that people had when they were in their teens and they were playing in their local arcade, they're not going to be able to get at all. First of all, they're not 15 years old anymore. They're 45, 50, 60 years old. And second of all, their reflexes aren't what they used to be. I've had people say, I used to be able to play that game for hours, and now I have trouble playing it for 15 minutes before I lose. And another problem is that when you were a kid and you were in the arcade, part of the experience that made it special was that you didn't have a lot of money. You had to try really hard to win games so that you could play for a long time. Now people show up, they're in their prime earning years, and they have plenty of money, they just, you know, if they win a game, they just leave it on there, and they walk over to play another game. Part of the whole arcade experience was that you were hungry and you wanted to win. It's like the eye of the tiger is gone. Um, the money meant something. that have changed about the arcade business is things like there's no smoking now. Back in the day, about 50% of our customers would be polluting the air, and you don't get that at all right now. Um, and like you said, there's no 16-year-old girls hanging out. Uh, but we do try to keep it as pure an experience and just feature the games. And we don't really do a lot of the history things. We don't do a diorama, a two-story mobile that shows you how pinballs are manufactured, mainly because people can get that somewhere else. They can go on the Internet. They can buy a pinball book. They can get the history from, you know, the, the website. Marvin3M.com. Do that. When they come to us, what they want is a room full of games, preferably a, a room that's dark so that you don't have... I used to play in arcades all the time where they had neon everywhere, and the neon would wash out the colors on the play field, especially red neon, and then it would bounce off the play field glass and into your eyes. So there was always a glare problem. And my idea of a great arcade experience is exactly what we've got a big square room that's dark uh where there's just a bunch of games there's nothing to interfere with your enjoyment of the games and the games are kept meticulously clean i'm not saying that the games we've got are perfect because every game probably has a lot of things wrong with it but we try awful hard we certainly try harder than your average arcade and just about everybody that's been there said, yeah, the games run good. And that, to me, is what I want, is a room full of games that runs good. I don't want uh, hoi, hoi polloi, 
fancy museum. I don't want any of that other stuff. I just want people to come in and recreate their youth by playing the actual machines. All right, Tim, we're going to take a little break. Hold on a second. We're going to take a, just a little uh, short break here with a message. Hey, George, I just had to call and tell you about this really great magazine I got. It's called the Pin Game Journal, and it's the only magazine dedicated totally to pinball. It's got great articles and interviews with designers and everything. No, George, I won't loan you my right, copy. Who knows where you'll take it to. You're going to have to go to PinGameJournal.com and get your own subscription. But George, the guy says that each issue will get mailed whenever he feels like it. What's the deal with that? All right, George, I gotta go. Gotta call Elaine and tell her. I can't believe how good this magazine is. All right, we're back with Tim Arnold. Uh, if anybody wants to call in and ask Tim Arnold a question, our phone number is if you got any questions about the Pinball Hall of Fame or pinball in general or any, any tech questions or anything you want to ask Tim Arnold uh, while we got Tim on the line. So, Tim, now... A lot of the games that you're running, you do some modifications to. Um, tell me what you what you do, for instance, to the new Stern games before you start to operate them. You know what what modifications do you do? Uh, on the new stuff, we change them to white rubber instead of black rubber. Immediately, right out of the box. Right out of the box, we can't stand black rubber. Uh, two problems with the black rubber: one, it sheds a lot of black dirt all over the playfield really makes your games run filthy. And second of all, the players don't like it because it's less bouncy than white rubber. And all right, hold, problem, on, hold on, Tim. The problem with black rubber is it, it, it tends to make the operators lazy. Yeah. They never have to change it. They just yeah, look at it and say, well, that ring is fine, even though it's worn half the way through. So, yeah, we, we, just, we change them immediately to uh, uh, white rubber, and we change them from... 50 cents, three ball, to 75 cents, five ball. Uh, all our customers have said, particularly the new Stern games, that they like a five ball game because the rule sets are so deep they can't get all the way through the game in three balls, and they would prefer paying more money for a five ball game as opposed to less money for a three ball game. Hi, you're on TopCast. you got a question for uh, Tim Arnold? Yeah, what's up, fellas? Hey, Tim, how come Vegas? Why Why put the damn thing in Vegas? Because in, in retrospect, it was a brilliant move because back when I bailed out of Michigan in 1990, uh, I needed to have a place that was warm and dry. Michigan was cold and wet. And I wasn't going to scrape all the rust off these games just to have to do it again. And second of all, I needed a place with a lot of population density, a lot of locals. There's 1.8 million people in Las Vegas right now. When I left Lansing, Michigan, there was 100,000 people. So I have 18 times more locals here today than when I left Michigan. And I also needed a, a state with no state income tax. So it kind of came down to Florida and Nevada. And you also got to remember that Vegas is basically a company town. The company is entertainment. Everybody that runs this town from the politicians to the electric company to everybody, bends over backwards to help entertainers, people that put on a show. Back in Michigan, the local government bent over backwards to help Oldsmobile, but when it came time to help out a local pinball arcade owner, they wouldn't give me the time of day. And I come out here, and if I need a, 
a tax ruling or a, a change in a law, I basically go to my representative and things happen because Vegas is a show town, and that's where I needed to be. Well, even with business such as you know yourself compared to all the you know everything else that's out there i went i went to see my county commissioner who i'd never met before i sat down and explained the fact that if i was to open this pinball museum and i had to pay seventy dollars per game per year for permits that if i had 400 games that would be twenty eight thousand dollars a year and i told the guy i said this is a deal breaker i simply cannot run this and and pay $28,000 a year to put a sticker on each machine. So he called up and set up a meeting with the head of business license and they came up with another classification called non-resort admission which got me out of paying the permits. I have it in writing. I have a business license that allows me to do this and I didn't have to do what I would have had to do back in Michigan which was beg and plead. It was basically, oh, you're in the entertainment business. We're an entertainment town. How can we help you? How can we make this happen? And that's what happened. It's it's absolutely the greatest. Hmm. Tell you what, you know, you do a great job. I've never been there. I don't uh, foresee in the next near future of getting there, but I wish it was more on the East Coast where I'm from. But uh, I tell you what, it's nice to look at on the Internet. And um, as being an old pinball player since a kid, I really appreciate you doing a great job. Well, yeah, thanks, and you should just, you know, help spread the word around, tell people, and if you get, get get a chance to come out here, you know, by all means, stop in. Another thing that's worked in our favor is it's gotten harder and harder to vacation overseas. Even getting to Mexico or Canada now requires a, um, uh, not a visa, what's passport. that other thing? A passport. Because you can't even go up to Canada now without a passport, so people are looking for places to vacation inside America, and, again, what you come down to is San Diego, Southern California, Florida, and Las Vegas. So we're actually getting a lot more tourists uh, in Vegas, and they're all looking for something to do besides gamble. And yeah. we kind of fit the bill pretty good. All right. Well, thank you, caller. I appreciate your call. All right. So, Tim, how long do you think you can keep this stamina up running this place? It's pretty intensive in your part. With no, I'm getting, I'm getting a day off now. I don't work on Sundays. Uh, Hippie gets two days a week off. And if I needed to, I could get, you know, I, I constantly get people to say, oh, I'd volunteer. You know, I'll help you out. I'll do a shift. But I kind of turn them down because when there's just a kid there sitting in the chair, the games aren't getting fixed. So, you know, me and Hippie are real serious about making the thing run properly. And if you want something done right, you kind of do it yourself. So we got another caller, Tim. Uh, yeah, so where are you from, and what question do you have for Tim? Oh, yeah, hey, I'm New Jersey. Um, uh, enjoy the show here. Um, you probably covered this on your website or whatnot, but uh, all that black stuff on, that accumulates underneath the pinball machine, I mean, I've heard graphite or whatever. I mean, what is, is, is there any one thing that's causing all that, or is it just, I mean, is it the flippers, or is it just the metal on metal, or is it's curious magic what dust. that all that stuff is. It's magic dust. Magic pixie it's, dust. It's, it's, it's rubber shavings and metal shavings, and the reason that you have to keep a pinball clean is because they run dirty. Video games just sit there and run forever. You never have to do anything to them. 
Um, oh. Pinball takes a lot of work, and that's why most operators don't want to mess with it. They just say, ah, you know, I had a pinball machine. I had to keep cleaning it. You know, I'd spend an hour a week cleaning one pinball machine. I just don't want to mess with it anymore. Yeah, yeah, what that stuff is is every time you have a metal solenoid fire inside a nylon coil sleeve, a little bit of the nylon material basically almost like vaporizes into like a, into a dust. And that's what that black dust is, you know, is that. It's also probably some, some carbon-related stuff, too. In there, but it's it's basically just you know w- you know wear from that. I'm sure the the rubber is is probably some you know incident of it, but I, I believe it to be more of from uh, the metal plunger inside a nylon sleeve. Okay, uh, another quick thing, um, you know, it just seems like uh, these games are you know the the '90s games. They're they're constantly needing these various modifications because the the uh, everything you know, you're getting these burns. The, the boards are melting and whatnot. I mean, is that can that be attributed to any one thing, or is it just everything together is causing it to run hotter? Um, no, this is a definite conspiracy on the part of the manufacturer for the machine to wear out after about five years. They could solve every single problem on the Williams games in the '90s just by changing a few things using better grade components, but. What it comes down to is they don't want a machine that lasts forever. They want a machine that runs for about five years and then falls over dead, so you have to buy a new one. Um, Stern is doing the same thing. If I was building pinball machines, I would probably do the same okay, thing. Okay, um, I heard you talking uh, about your uh, your LED light conversion. Uh, would that have a, an effect on a lot of these um, hot uh, connections? Uh, yeah, it does remove a lot of strain on the connectors. It's not going to help your your black dirt problem. That that still happens. You know, I'm going through and cleaning lenses with Q-tips, whether they have LEDs on them or bulbs. But yeah, definitely, especially on the WPC games. You know, it takes a huge amount of time. But on the WPC games, if you open up the head on one of those that's been on for eight or ten hours, it's just like opening an oven door. And if you take the GI out of the head and put it down in the bottom of the game, and if you change to LEDs, you open up the head and it's not nearly as warm. So, yeah, we've we made some changes that make, make things run a lot cooler. All right, thank you, caller. Getting back to the Stern, I also heard that, you know, that Stern GI light bulbs burn out very, very quickly, um, that they're running too much voltage to the GI bulbs. What's your comment right. on that? Right. That's, that's a problem with different vendors supplying transformers that vary quite a bit. You know, we open up one game, and the GI will be running at 5.8, and we'll open up the next one, and it'll be at 6.4. Now, you got to remember that the GI light bulbs are rated at 6.3 volts, and if you go over that by 10%, you cut your life in half, and if you go under that by 10%, you double the life of your bulbs. So if you can take a 6.3 volt... GI light and drop it to about 5.4, you're going to extend the life of your bulbs by a factor of about 4. Now, your game isn't going to look as bright as it does at 6.3 volts, um, but there's always a trade-off. Hi, we got another, we got another caller. Um, hi, uh, tell us uh, where you're from and what question you have. Uh, hello, uh, I'm calling from Eagle River, Alaska. and wow. uh, No shit. Uh, I got it. Kind of a technical question here. Before I get to that, I just wanted to say that 
my son and I have been down there to Las Vegas uh, four or five times, and we really appreciate the effort that uh, Mr. Arnold puts into his uh, Hall of Fame there, and we have a great time when we're down there. This isn't Tom, is it? Yes. It, it, this is Tom. This is Tom. Well, this might be one Tom. This is Tom Anderson. I don't know who you're talking okay, about. Okay, just, just well, how many a Toms do you know to live in Alaska? <laughs> <laughs> okay, oh, I'm sorry. Go on, go on, Tom. Uh, well, that's all right. Anyway, um, my question is: I have a, uh, a Premier Gottlieb uh, ice fever, and the slingshots just uh, barely bounce the ball back and forth to each other, and they use a uh, coil A5194, and I think I, need, I just need something a little more powerful. And is it uh, all right to put in a larger coil or a smaller coil, whatever it takes? Uh, and, yeah, you uh, want to change from the 5195 white coil that you've got, you want to go to a 5194 blue coil. Yeah, well, I, I agree. You have a blue one in there, I'm afraid. You've got a white one. 5195 is a white coil. That's what the factory okay. put in. You want to put in a blue coil. You get a little bit more punch. Yeah, you could check the resistance. What's the resistance, Tim, of the coil you want? Uh, you know, I stopped measuring it because I always take out the whites and put in the blues. It's pretty much an automatic thing. Try that first. You, I think you'll like it a lot more. Also, put a tighter rubber on as opposed to a looser rubber. Well, why tighter? Energy gets transferred to the ball. Oh, I see. Okay. Yeah. All right. So, you know, sometimes uh, you got to twice the blue and a smaller rubber band. Then. Yeah, go from a two and a half inch kicker rubber to a two inch, and, and I think you'll get you'll get a little more punch. But you got to remember, uh -huh. on the ice fever, you got a white play field, so you don't want to put a lot of kick on there because white paint comes off real easy. Oh, I see. I didn't realize that. Yeah, and there. Trouble with that uh, play field is it kind of looks like the. Uh, grain of the wood is starting to come up on that thing, and I don't know if there's anything you can do to stop that or not. No, no. Just keep it waxed. Yeah, waxed for mylar. Well, again, thanks a lot. I appreciate your efforts there in Las Vegas, and uh, every time we come down, we stop in and, and uh, play a lot of games. All right, cool. Thanks. Thanks for calling. Appreciate it. Oh, I hate Alaskan tourists. Why? Oh, they're the worst. What do you mean? What's what's the difference between a uh, uh, Alaskan tourist and a canoe? Tip, canoe's tip, canoe's tip. What's uh, what's the difference between a seven forty seven and a tourist from Alaska? Canoe's tip. <laughs> no, no, no. A seven forty seven lands in Vegas and it stops whining. <laughs> okay. All right. So anyway, what, 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 uh, what did Alaska? Share? Share? Yeah, we we have one we have got one Alaska listener, and you just pissed That's them all off. Right. Let him say his joke. Go on. Well, let me finish the joke, Captain Buzzkill. What's what do share uh, and Alaskan tourists have in common? No tits. No, they both haven't been fucking sunny for years. <coughs> you know, the interesting thing is that we're touching pinball hearts throughout the world. You know, we started doing this stupid tape. In a garage, in a, in just for the hell of it, and we're getting people from like all over the world. I got a letter here from a guy in Australia. We got people from Europe, just like the moon landing. A a anyway, anyways, Tim. So, what do you do to decrease the voltage on the on the new Stern games? Um, uh, you have to use a voltage drop because there are no ready supply of of tr transformers. Ideally, what you want to do is put the correct transformer in there. 
So what I do is I keep an eye out for old EM transformers that put out 5.4 volts, and when I find one I like, I drop it in the bottom of the stern game and run the GI off a separate transformer. The problem with a voltage drop is it doesn't save any electricity. It just acts as a dummy load and creates heat that stays in the bottom of the game. The ideal solution is to get the correct transformer and put it in there. But unfortunately, I don't have an endless supply of correct transformers. Hmm. Okay, so now like on the WPC games, what kind of modifications do you do to those? Um, I put the LEDs in for the... the um, driven lamps, the computer-driven lamps. Yeah, we talked about that last show. Right, and I also replaced the transformer with another one, and I put the fuse clips down in the bottom of the game. Wait, 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 wait. you replaced the entire transformer or just the GI transformer? Just the portion of the transformer that has the two, the four big GI wires coming off it. That gets unplugged, and then I run those four wires into another transformer. Why? WPC is, it starts out at the transformer at 7.2 volts, and then the triax on the WPC driver board switch it down to yeah, 6.3 hey. volts. We got a we got a caller. No, uh, yeah. I, I, I there was a crying baby. So no, I, he, he I was trying to get the kid to stop crying. Yeah, he was, I, I think he's from Alaska. He was going to tell your ass off. I <laughs> hate those Alaskan tourists. <laughs> um. And anyway, so okay. Please so call back, whoever you are, <laughs> without the kid. Um, but see, this isn't a factor for your average collector who has his game in his basement. He doesn't even have to do any of this because he's not running the game 12, 14 hours a day, every day of the week. You know, if you, if you leave your game on long enough to play it, maybe an hour or so, you're not going to have any of the wear and heat problems you do if you're running the thing 14 hours a day. So I would tell you average, you know, pinball guy who's got a couple games in his basement just not to worry about it that much hmm. but if you want advice. to you can make the changes and make your game more reliable no let's never get too anal now tim is there is there been anything that we that we failed to cover uh in regards to the pinball hall of fame well wait we got to call it do you want to take them yeah yeah hi you're on top cast hey uh, i've got another question for you the um uh, I noticed, uh, you know, they made the modification there in Europe as far as no lead boards. Um, I mean, has anybody been concerned uh, about, I mean, is there any kind of lead that accumulates from the play of these games, or is that just kind of a technical thing they're concerned about as far as the lead change? Well, they did that over in Europe to get lead out of landfills, because when people were throwing out electronic devices, eventually the water would percolate through the landfill, pick up lead, and end up in people's wells and drinking water supply. Uh, it's probably a good move. Um, and yes, there is lead inside your game. If you feel the, the grayish dust in the bottom of your game, a large part of that is lead. Um, you want to sop it up with an old oily rag and then throw the rag away. If you've got kids or pets, keep them away from your work area and vacuum up the area often because you don't want that dust getting into kids and food and drinks and things. Um, you don't have to worry about lead coming into contact with your hands. Wait a minute. You mean that doesn't make a good play pen? No, no. If <laughs> sure it does. Good. No, I was I, I was raised. Say, though, my daughter laughed her ass off on that video.
got a Hummer from a co-ed in the Insta photo booth. No, no. Okay. But we we did have all the pictures from the photo booth. Yeah, where are they? That I, I trusted them to the hippie when I left in 1990, and he lost them. I don't buy that. Is that why Playboy went through the roof right about then? Yeah, no, that was, that was, he said he never had them, but I gave them to him, and he lost them. I don't okay. buy that story. All right. All right, then. thanks. Bye. Hey, so Tim, now what about the uh, you know speaking of the some of the publicity you got? What about the Forbes interview that was in the Forbes magazine and those dollar values that that were quoted for some of the games? What's up with that? Um, I was either misquoted or he exaggerated the numbers. Uh, you got to remember that Forbes is a financial magazine, and these Wall Street guys they just love large numbers. So I guess you know a, a seventy-eight what was it seventy-eight hundred dollars for a Star Trek? Something like that. But, again, there's no bad publicity. You know, as long as they get the address right, I don't care what they say. Hmm. Hmm. So you said well, as long as you're doing this, what would you not be doing if, uh, or you get tired of this, what, what would be your next direction? Uh, if the whole thing burned down tomorrow, I would still need to spend a year or two getting, you know, the, the shed reorganized and redoing parts and getting my life back under control. Um, but basically, I love what I do. You know, I get up every day. Uh, I get to go play with pinball machines. I get to fix things. And I don't have to drive around doing repairs in people's houses, which I, I used to hate to drive out to places. Uh, Clay does a lot of that. And it just, you know, it sucks. You know, well, why don't you like that? Because you spend half your time stuck in traffic, and then you get out there, and no matter how well prepared you are, you never have the parts you need. <laughs> You're not very well prepared then. Then you got all those yeah, women okay, that are after you. Me. Keep saying that. All yeah. those women that are after you. All the groupies, pin groupies. Yeah, yeah. What was it? What is it with you and pin groupies? There I... are no such things. <laughs> he keeps dreaming. Listen, don't kill the boys. The boys' hope his dream. Uh, yeah, yeah. All right, Tim. Well, I know you got to get. Uh, you got to be to work in uh, like thirty minutes, right? Yeah, six o'clock is shift change. Right, at, at the museum. The day shift pussies go home, and the gods that walk the earth, the night shift, come on. It's is, only for four hours, though, that's, isn't it? That's you, though, right? Five yeah, hours. Yeah, I'm a god that walks the earth, you bet. Thank Tim Arnold of pinwallmuseum.org uh, for coming on TopCast tonight and talking to us. This is, of course, our interview with Tim Arnold of the Pinball Hall of Fame in Las Vegas. Tim, what's the address uh, there in, in uh, Las Vegas? Uh, 3330 East Tropicana. Okay. So four miles east of the fabulous Las Vegas Strip. Well, you know, I'd, I'd really like to thank Tim for coming out and telling us the stories. I, I really, especially like the frat boy story the most. You well, would. You're gay. You can't help it. <laughs> no, I'm not. But I, I just thought that was it's burned a hole in your soul. I think. Yes. Yeah. Did the, Did you ever talk to the guy after that uh, incident? Yeah, every time I went in there, I'd have to, every couple weeks, I'd have to give him, you know, $20, $30, his hair, half of the game, you know. Well, what did he say to you? Yeah, what did he say? I just says, here's your money, and see you in two weeks. No, but what did he say to you after, you know, he must have realized you saw what was going on. No, it was, don't ask, don't tell, man. Okay. Discretion is the better part of valor. Think about that for a while. I'd rather not. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Tim, well, hey, I really do appreciate your time. You take care, okay? Okay. All right, bye-bye. Well, Norm, what would you think of that? Pretty disgusting. Well, 
it's another episode of. Can we answer this one question? No, it's please. Another, it's another episode. Get a question of, to repair from Australia. I'm shutting Norm's mic off. It's another episode of Topcast in the can. And uh, he's gonna be stick, mad at me. Stick around for us for next week. We got uh, we've got a guest, uh, the artist for Big Bang Bar, Stan Fukuoka. He's going to be on Topcast next week. He did uh, the art for Cap- at Capcom. He did uh, Breakshot, Big Bang Bar, and Kingpin. And he's going to talk about his experiences in the coin-op business. And uh, he's going to be on Topcast uh, for our next episode. Uh, that's that's coming up shortly. Norm, can you say goodbye, Norm? Goodbye, everybody. Okay. Good night. Good night to everybody.